I'm here with Michael from Transcode Therapeutics. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what you're trying to do in, in, in cancer, uh, Michael? And, and uh, I want to see how we can uh, change the world with this. So tell sure. me about it and let's go from there. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. First of all, I'm really excited to be here to tell you about it. Um, and that's a subject that's, uh, you know, our, we've been working on this for, we've, we actually formed the company in 2016. It's science that comes out of Mass General Hospital. Uh, the two scientific co-founders, along with myself, another co-founder, um, they're Harvard professors that came out of Harvard Medical School. Um, wow. And the science has is, um, been worked on for over 10 years now. So it's a really well-optimized approach. And what we're trying to do is resolve uh, metastatic disease. Um, when, when you talk about cancer death, um, and last year there were nine, pill, 9 million people that died of cancer worldwide, uh, up to 90% of those cancer deaths are associated with met metastasis. And so late stage disease is where there's a real, um, uh, you know, a problem with, with uh, treatment options for patients. They just don't, there just isn't anything that can resolve their disease. So All they can do is really slow down the disease. They can't really. Right, exactly. So what our therapeutic does is it actually targets the mechanism that's responsible for metastatic tumor cell viability. And we inactivate that whole process. So uh, we eliminate metastasis in our preclinical studies or animal studies. We eliminate a metastasis after four to five weekly treatments. And then we actually stopped treatment because there was no evidence of disease left. And uh, the animals lived out their normal life. And what, what animals were they? What, what type of animals? We're talking mice, you know, a murine model. Wow. So, and uh, we, we, we actually have done quite a few different types of studies. So different types of uh, either immune competent mice or, or not. Um, and then different tumor types as well. So really aggressive metastatic tumor cell lines, both human and rodent, um, to really show that it wasn't the immune system or anything else that was resolving the disease. It was actually our therapeutic. So, really interesting. Yeah, so, so we're really anxious to, you know, translate to the clinic to show that this well, same biology can work in a human being. From knowing you, Michael, for a little bit of time, what interests me most about what your treatment is that there's not there's no negative side effects really that's correct uh, it, it's very uh it's a very safe um therapy and so but let's talk a little bit more about this science let's go into that so sure um so you help with metastatic tumors um uh, and can you go into how how this works because i just feel like i'm so ignorant about how this works but i want to sure. know more about it sure and uh hopefully we can we can educate the audience so back in around 2007, uh, there was a discovery that there's a certain biomarker, it's called microRNA 10B, is associated with metastatic cells leaving a primary tumor, so that detachment from that environment of the primary tumor, and then the ability to migrate to another place in the body and then colonize in a completely different organ. So you know, first of all, how does that happen and why does it happen? And they're still trying to figure out really what's the mechanism that upregulates this expression of this microRNA that allows this transition. Um, but it's probably a, a variety of effects like uh, the lack of blood flow or uh, the lack of oxygen inside the tumor that makes it an inhospitable environment for survival. So these cells 
say, you know what, it's time to pick up and go somewhere else so that we can find a better place to survive. And so it's this microRNA that was associated with that migration. Um, but our researchers discovered, our scientific co-founders actually discovered that this microRNA is responsible for their survival of these tumor cells. And when you inactivate it or inhibit this, this microRNA, um, the cells simply die. They can't survive without that. So, um, you know, it's a real revelation to discover that it's not just associated with the travel and, uh, and you know, this migration uh, to another place in the body, but the actual survival of these cells is dependent upon this, this microRNA expression. So what our therapeutic does is we deliver a, uh, it's almost like a complementary, uh, uh, it's called an oligonucleotide, which is the exact mirror image, it's called an antag antagomir, to this microRNA. And when it gets inside these tumor cells, uh, and I'll go into the, how it actually does that in a second, but it, once it gets inside the tumor cell, um, it's uh, cleaved away from our delivery system, which is an iron oxide nanoparticle. And when it's cleaved away, the oligonucleotide uh, then binds to the microRNA and then it inactivates it. And I was going to ask you probably binds to the, to the microRNA. That's what I was thinking. I was like, there has to be a way because the microRNA yeah. is making every, the, the disease travel, right? So, right. uh, so okay, so go ahead. Sorry, put you up. Okay, so it's, it's this, uh, this, this binding that occurs that kind of inactivates this microRNA. And this inactivation causes this tumor cell to die. It can't survive anymore without this environment that's been established by this microRNA. So it's kind of an elegant solution to a really, you know, uh, a large unmet need. How, um, how positive are, are we that the, that the, the cause is the microRNA? Well, there's, it, it's uh, the reference to microRNA 10B to yeah. uh, metastasis and, you know, migration, invasion of other uh, uh, organs in the body different than the original uh, organ of origin. Um, all of that is documented in over 150 different publications. So this it, is a well-documented scenario uh, by a lot of researchers. Uh, we just happen to be the one that designed the delivery mechanism that can deliver the oligo that binds to this microRNA. And wow. it's, it's really because of the, um, the background of the two uh, scientific co-founders uh, you wouldn't normally put these two individuals together to create something like this. Uh, the first one is Dr. Anna Moore, who spent 27 years at Mass General Hospital and as a professor of radiology uh, and Harvard Medical School professor, who is now assistant dean of medicine at Michigan State University. And so her forte is, is um, the use of iron oxide or other nanoparticle formulations to deliver therapeutics in oncology. Um, and our other scientific co-founder has a PhD in genetics and her forte is the microRNA environment, you know, this, this uh, RNAi, um, which is really kind of caught hold right now um, as, a, as a way to combat different diseases, including COVID-19. You were saying it's the oligarch or the oligarch or oligo? Oligo, it's an oligo And that binds, oligonucleotide binds yeah. to the microRNA. Yep. And it prevents the microRNA from uh, creating a capacity for the disease to travel from place to place. Right. right. 
which neutralizes it and yep. makes it go away essentially, right? Yep. It may actually kills the tumor cell. So, um, and it's kind of a catastrophic event as well. So it's not, we don't have to deliver our oligo, which is a synthetic nucleic acid. Um, we don't have to deliver it to every metastatic tumor cell. We just have to kill enough of them that then this kind of disease falls apart. So, um, so we we demonstrated this in um, in mice in a, a variety of uh, tumor cell models that are known metastatic, and so we and we caused com complete elimination of metastasis without recurrence. And as you mentioned, uh, there's also no toxicity because we're really not disturbing normal cells. This isn't a chemotherapeutic or a chemical uh, drug that. Uh, affects all cells, including tumor cells. This only affects the metastatic tumor cell. Got it. Okay. Um, wonderful. So it's not early stage, it's more late stage. More late stage cancer. Well, what's, what's interesting is uh, the original studies that our scientific co-founders embarked on was to look at prevention. So what if you implant a known metastatic tumor in a, in a, in a rodent and, um, and then you deliver the therapeutic right away, would metastatic cells ever form? And what they found was, and published in Oncogene in 2013, was they don't. So all the control animals actually died of the disease, um, you know, six to eight weeks later, and all the uh, therapeutically treated animals did not develop metastasis. So it actually further proved that not only does it kill tumor cells that are already established, so metastases that have already been formed, yeah. but it also prevented the disease from happening in the first place. So when we go into the clinic, it's likely that yes, we'll treat late stage candidates because they don't have you know, very many treatment options available yeah. to them, but it's likely that we would also look at other earlier stage candidates to see if we could actually prevent metastasis. But, but it's so difficult to treat early stage though because yeah, like you'd have people, to follow them for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, people aren't diagnosed. They don't think they have the disease for a right. long period of time until they, you know, some type of um, symptom appears, right? So, so uh, while how do you make it more widespread so that it does help with prevention okay. as opposed to? <clears throat> well, Cor normally things like this are adopted in a by physicians so it, it likely would be adopted as an earlier stage uh you know treatment uh, potential uh gee if it works on established metastases how do we know that there aren't really microscopic metastases already traveling around yeah um, that we could actually affect so they might want to try this earlier stage so that could be an outcome of of successful treatment in, in late stage disease? Yeah, so what I'm saying is that the problem is, is a diagnos diagnostic problem. It's not necessarily that. True. You right. know, so like, I, I don't even know I have cancer. I'm not gonna check if I have cancer uh, right. until I see some type of symptom. And usually when I see some type of symptom, it's, it's, uh, it's metastasized, right? Well, uh, it's oftentimes what'll happen is, and that, you know, and not to discount therapeutic, therapeutics that uh, are have resolved really stage one and stage two cancer types, you know, pretty well that, you know, with surgery, radiation, chemotherapeutics, uh, stage one and stage two disease is, is, has pretty good outcomes. 
um, it's these later stage outcomes that are really, you know, not being uh, bettered. So it's really a horrible um, situation to be in to decipher whether you go through this very uh, intense treatment to just expand or to, to prolong your life. It's very, it's a very intense decision. It's very uh, emotional, affects families tremendously. Oh, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine. You know, do I go through this therapy, put myself through torture, you know, in the later stages of cancer in order to live a little bit longer for my family? Uh, it's, it's really, I mean, heart-wrenching, you know. Sure. And it's, it also comes at a great cost, you know, financially. Um, and so, um, and, that, and it's a common question when I talk to cancer patients that have had primary disease and they've had, you know, surgical intervention and chemotherapeutics and radiation treatment. And they've gone into what's called so you know so-called remission, um, but what they don't really know is is you know what's the what's the chance of my cancer spreading, you know, and and will it metastasize? I think is a another question that I I commonly get as a, a kind of a fear that cancer patients have, and it's always present on their mind. Um, I know a lot of cancer survivors, and even though they might have survived, you know, five, ten years, twenty years post their original diagnosis and treatment, they still wonder about it. Am I going to have another, you know, tumor at some later point in time? And so, having, I think it, it what our therapeutic could offer is, is you know, a treatment resolution to that secondary question. That's number one, but also. Uh, we, we have a, a, we're embarking also on a diagnostic test that would measure the expression of microRNA 10B in, in a blood sample. So having the ability to know that you have 10B expression, even after these uh, original treatments for primary disease could be really valuable. And at least knowing that there might be this potential of, of metastasis coming up. So you want to have, be further evaluated by your clinician to you know, see if that's going to be true. Wow. This is so interesting. Um, so, you know, cancer is a very diverse field. There's so many aspects of cancer um, that um, exist. And you're, you're solving essentially one very, very uh, prevalent uh, form of cancer that uh, needs to be resolved. Um, and it's just so difficult to imagine, you know, what somebody goes through, you know, getting cancer. It's like, it's one of the... It's one of those specialties as a physician where, you know, you really need to get to know your patient and it's very emotional for you, I think, as a physician, right? Sure. Um, yeah, because you, you see some of your patients, you know, pass away and it's, it's very, and, and you have this like really, I think more, more so than any other field, oncology is a field in which relationships are, are uh, developed strongly with, with patients. Sure. Um, and so how do you, how do you get this in, in the hands of, uh, physicians once it's FDA approved, or let's, let's go back, let's start from how do we get this FDA approved? What's the, the, the journey that we have to go through in order to get this, um, you know, commercially viable. Okay. So right now what we're doing is because we, we've really exhausted um, looking at uh, animal models to, to, you know, establish uh, uh, the results that we have. And we want to, you know, we want to translate to the clinic as soon as we can. So, um, because there's no really further work that we can do um, preclinically. So, 
Um, so we're raising money right now. So we have a seed round that we're raising. It's a convertible note. Uh, and we're raising $3.7 million to take our, to do a first in man study, which is, uh, and we already have uh, kind of a green light from the FDA to uh, uh, actually go through the study that we've uh, designed. Um, back in March, um, we were actually slated to meet with the FDA in person and, and uh, it was canceled the day before because of COVID-19. So, um, oh, man. <laughs> we, yeah, so we, but we, what we did get in return was uh, a pretty lengthy written response to our questions that we posed to the FDA. And one thing that we recognized pretty, pretty well was they were really interested in what we were doing. So, um, so we're going to, uh, our first step is to embark on a study that shows that we can successfully deliver in a human being this oligonucleotide into a metastatic tumor cell successfully. So that study is to uh, establish that fact because in, in the RNAi field of which we're a representative of, um, that's been a challenge that only recently companies like Alnylam and others have resolved. And so even though RNAi has been a kind of a focus point for uh, solving a variety of diseases um, because of its potential, that the delivery issue has been a challenge. And so that's one of the things that, that we've been able to develop as a uh, delivery system that overcomes this challenge. So that's number one. But we've only proved it in animals. And for the next stage investment, which would be serious investment to take us all the way through the clinic and then get to commercialization, um, you know, investors are interested in seeing this delivery success uh, in humans as a first step. So that's what we're going first. Uh, so we're raising this money to do that. So we've raised 1.2 million so far against this 3.7. So we need to raise another 2.5. So we've already started some of the process work that we need to do to get into the uh, to a human being this way. And then the secondary part of that will be to uh, go into our phase one and phase two trials of which we already have a kind of a trial design already established. And we'd be looking at uh, a variety, this will be a kind of a, uh, what we call a basket design or what's known in the industry as a basket design where you, uh, because our uh, microRNA 10B is overexpressed in up to 18 different tumor types. So not just breast cancer, but pancreatic cancer, sm non-small lung uh, cancer, um, gastric cancer, liver cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we want to uh, see how effective we can be in the clinic looking at a variety of different cancer types. And so we'll, um, that'll be part of our clinical evaluation uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, how confident are you in uh, this potentially working? I mean, um, I mean, the science is there, right? You have, you have the scientific team to, to be able to prove, prove this out and go through the journey of, of making this work. Sure. Um, but I mean, how do you, how, how confident are you in this? Because this could be, I mean, this could save hundreds of thousands, millions of lives potentially uh, worldwide. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, from your perspective, this is a very emotional thing. Like we need to make this work because uh, if we get, to, if we make this work, then, you know, people are waiting for it. You know, people are waiting for it. They need it. Right. They sure are. So I'm sure it's emotional. It's a very emotional for you. It uh, is. Yeah. And it, hit, and it hits home too, because we have, 
we've already had family members pass away that, yeah. and with this knowledge that we know this works in animals and we are highly confident it will work in a human being. And you've yet, had family members that you can't use this therapy on because. Sure. Yeah. Our, one of our scientific co-founders, father died of colorectal uh, cancer last year. And of course she would have wanted to, you know, try this on him. So um, it was a diagnosis that came kind of out of the blue and uh, there were really no treatment options for him. And, and um, so, what so I yes. Really like about this, what I really like about your therapy is that it's, it's relatively hard. It's harmless essentially. Right. Um, well, so far of what we know in animals, that's true. So that's you part mean? of the, yeah, that's part of the, and, and, you know, the other work that we've done in this optimization work that we've done with the therapeutic over years is to evaluate the therapeutic from a safety perspective. And so we use components that are kind of already tried and true out in the clinic. Uh, for example, our iron oxide nanoparticle is, uh, has a similar construct to it that is used to treat iron deficiency anemia. And it's been used on millions of patients very safely. So uh, that's another thing that the FDA kind of likes about our therapeutic approach is that there's a lot of safety built into the construct itself and kind of a proven track record, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we coat the whole therapeutic with uh, dextran, which is a non-metabolizable sugar. And you know, I think a lot of people know that, that tumors love sugar because you know, they use it for fuel. And yeah. so they rapidly uptake our therapeutic because what's well, one of the reasons that they do is because of this non-metabolizable sugar. But then our therapeutic gets locked synthetic, inside. Synthetic sugar though, right? Or is Sorry? it synthetic sugar? Yeah, it's a, it's a non-metabolizable sugar, correct? Yeah. But it still is, you know, it's glucose. It's, you know, it's what tumor cells crave. So, um, and so they rapidly uptake this, this, this product. And then because it's non-metabolizable, it gets, the therapeutic gets locked inside the tumor cell. And then we, uh, then we affect the microRNA strategy. Oh, that's genius. That's so it is. And, but also dextran has a really good safety profile in patients. So it's another part of our, you know, approach that we really think this is going to be safe uh, for patients as well. So we've also, uh, we're, we're, you know, a lot of people question, uh, is microRNA 10B, is that in other cells besides metastatic tumor cells? And is there any kind of downstream, you know, negative effect, off-target effect, if you will. Uh, like focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, but we have really good evidence that this is not probably gonna be so because if you genetically uh, modify mice and knock out microRNA 10B, uh, they, they go on and live a normal life, their organs grow normally, et cetera. And then their progeny actually grow normally as well. So it doesn't seem to be responsible for normal cell function. It only is responsible for this, you know, um, this functioning in a, in a uh, metastatic tumor cell environment. So how, how effective was it in mice? So can you talk a little bit to that? I, I know we, we haven't discussed it too much, but. Sure. I'm so we actually had, we've done a variety of studies. So it wasn't just one study or two studies, it's a variety of studies. And looking at different types of mice uh, you know, having uh, compromised immune systems or not, uh, different kinds of cell lines, aggressive. Um, but there's a, the different kinds of metastatic cell lines that are available. Uh, they kind of come in different categories, but 
one cell line that we used was a kind of a local uh, regional cell line. So it didn't metastasize further than lymph nodes, for example. And then there was a, a more aggressive uh, cell line model that was used that metastasizes pretty much everywhere. So it goes to the brain, bone, uh, you know, uh, lots of other places in, in a mouse. So, um, and we were able to show success in both of those tumor models. Um, so elimination of metastasis. And so that's, that's what gave us the, the strong sense that, you know, we really need to take this to the clinic because if this works as well in a human being as it does in animals, then we've really got something here. So that's our eagerness. So we're, we're kind of, you know, we, we kind of, I, I kind of jokingly tell people that we're all dressed up and ready to go. Um, and it's because we are. We have a really formidable uh, management team that has a lot of expertise in drug development and, you know, taking a drug from conception to uh, commercialization. Um, but then we also have a really strong and active scientific, medical, and business advisory team that supports our initiative in a whole variety of ways. Um, not just from a medical perspective, people that have designed clinical trials, for example, but we also have, for example, one of the leading world's experts in the manufacturing of oligonucleotides on our team. Uh, we have the actual inventor of the iron oxide nanoparticle uh, as an advisor on our team. Um, right. And these are active members. These are people that have taken a real strong interest in what we're doing um, and, you know, offer advice. And we, you know, even though they're, they're shareholders on the team, it's a extremely minimal shareholder position, you know, and they will admit that too. Um, so they're doing it because they want to, not because, you know, it's something they're being compensated for. And probably something I should also mention is none of our management team members, uh, and I've been doing this since, you know, J January of 2016, have taken any pay whatsoever. So we're doing this, you know, we're not using investor money to be paid, we're using investor money to drive the initiative. So um, I think a lot, a lot is said that we have this, you know, amazingly engaged and passionate team that really wants to resolve this disease. Um, and, you know, and do you we, mind show, if I ask a and we do you show mind that. Do you mind if I ask a personal question? Sure, go ahead. Um, how, how are you, so how, through, through this, how are you supporting yourself to make this work? Well, fortunately, I've had, you know, other positions in my career that, you know, afforded me, you know, a pretty good lifestyle. So, uh, and then uh, my wife has a uh, at-home business that is quite successful. And so that allows us to, to work from home, number one. And number two, it allows us to do this on a, you know, full-time basis. So I'm, I'm at this, you know, as any head of any, you know, entrepreneurial initiative, I'm at this seven days a week, literally. And, um, I've been doing it for a long time. Well, I mean, you're doing great, great work. I mean, if, if, if we get this approved, FDA approved, I mean, it's going to save many, right. many lives, many lives. Right. Um, yeah, this is one of those jobs that I will tell you, it's pretty easy to get up early in the morning and do this. So um, it, it doesn't take a lot of drive and motivation to, yeah. to, to do this. So, yeah, definitely. Um, what, what excites you the most about doing this? What, what has excited you most about the journey? of doing this, figuring this out? Wow. Um, well, since I was involved in cancer research in the early 70s, you know, from 73 to 77, um, and fortunately, I've been really fortunate in my career to work with some really brilliant people. And 
um, so the head of the lab that we worked in was, uh, a lot of people were from Harvard, but there was also people from Mill Hill in London, England. And the passion that the lead investigator who drove our team, he was an MD, PhD, Harvard guy who, uh, when you talk to him, he would just get incredibly worked up about the science that we were creating, you know, and I think that translated into all of us into the excitement of working on something like this. And I've always kept that with me the whole time. And so anytime I tackle a project of importance, and I've always been uh, very fortunate to be able to select opportunities that were, you know, uh, opportunities that offered an incredible growth and opportunity and success and, and worked with incredible mentors and, you know, leaders in industry. So I've been really fortunate. I've, I've worked for some amazing people. And so it's, it's not difficult for that to rub off in certain ways that when you find an initiative like this, that has such compelling, you know, uh, potential behind it and, actually touching people's lives in a huge way. And it's not just patients, you know, you're talking family members right. and, you know, uh, coworkers, et cetera. So it touches just so many people. It's that's, this is not a difficult uh, thing to do. So, and I've kind of, uh, you know, I think I, what I've picked up along the way with uh, working with a lot of successful companies is that uh, when you build a project like this, it's all about the team that you put on board to, to, you know, accomplish it. This isn't, this isn't my show. This is the Transcode show, if you will. Uh, we put mm -hmm. on a really good, formidable team that can, you know, manage their different pieces of the project, you know, without me micromanaging anybody. So, um, so that's the beauty of it is that because we're working on something so important, we can take the time to, you know, put in the right people to to man help manage the effort. I I, w I feel that. The, the, the person that's going to change the world is going to be an entrepreneur regardless, you know, uh, now scientists definitely help with that. Um, but you have to have an entrepreneur to put every, all this together, to put a team together, to make sure that everything's managed the proper way. Sure. Um, and, um, how often, how, 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 um, do you ever think about how little exposure, you know, people get, you know, in the media and things like that? you know, um, people who actually resolve an issue, uh, that a lot that are, that's affecting a lot of patients or do you feel, do you feel like, um, people don't get the credit that's due because I feel like there's a lot of therapies out there that help a lot of patients, but we don't know the names of the people behind them. Sure. You know, um, and it's almost, you know, the way I kind of think about it. And if you, you know, one of the things that I've been really conscious of is that there's very little information about us outside of, you know, our, our group of people, you know, the people that we've connected with. Um, and we do it, on, I do it on purpose uh, because the last thing I want to do is to get this out in some kind of media way that, um, you know, before we were ready to do that, before we were ready to translate into the uh, to, into the clinic to prove out this, this hypothesis. Yeah. Um, the worst thing that we could do is give people false hope that we could be, you know, maybe years in the waiting. Um, True. We, just, we just did not want to do that. So it's been a very purpose, you know, I've been purposeful about this. Well, uh, I think people want to follow a journey. They want to, they want to see a journey. 
they want to yeah. see you know somebody that's um that's trying to make th- something work for for society and see see um how that progresses because i mean people love elon musk for example uh he's doing a lot for society and they would love to see him you know on on a daily basis what he's doing and and how he's you know changing the world and progressing and launching these rockets and <laughs> right. making tesla better um so i think i really do think that people need to see the journey um i totally agree and we've actually just embarked we just uh, on this journey using uh, we just uh, put on a, a pr consulting firm to help uh, help us really craft our message because you know, one of the things I've been really conscious of is that when we get information out into the public domain, that it's done in the right way, number one. And number two, that we're conveying the right message uh, as a team. And it's really important to make sure that we have that message, you know, with a lot of clarity behind it. And um, so so I, I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, in our time is kind of now. We've just recently started this initiative uh, because we feel that now we're ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, well, it's very honorable what you're doing. You know, you, you guys are the unsung heroes that uh, that resolve world issues and and don't get the the type of uh, exposure that uh, you know celebrities get. You know, and uh, and true. celebrities are making millions of dollars and right. You know, they're making uh, videos online. You know, just like coming out of the limelight or coming um, out of nowhere, making these videos about you know woke society and it just you know we, we need to give more credit where credit's due and i feel like um you know you guys are are definitely helpful and uh you, you guys need to get you, know, you you need to get the credit for what you're doing um now say you're talking to an investor uh, yep. what, what would you say to a potential investor who's maybe has uh, a personal reason why he would potentially invest in this mm-hmm. company um, but also, let's say an investor wants to get a return on his, on his investment. What would you say to somebody in both um, realms? Somebody that has a personal reason to invest and then somebody that really wants to see a return. Okay. Well, the first one is an easy one because um, the angel investors that invested $2.2 million into our company so far, they're not scientists. They're, you know, just you know, they're business people that had successful careers and they have the means to invest, number one. But number two, the reason they're investing is because they've been touched by a personal story of someone in their family or friends that have cancer. And so they want to see this resolved. So, um, so there is that personal connection for sure. And almost everybody that we talk to, it's a personal scenario, you know, whether we know it or not. Um, somebody knows somebody who has suffered from this disease. So, you know, it is a personal situation almost always. Um, But second to that is that, you know, investors at the end of the day, they're putting money in to not just resolve problems, but they want to see a return on their investment. And, And we understand that as entrepreneurs and as head of this company, I wanna make sure that people have a, a large return on their investment. And, so, you know, but I don't think I need to, you know, I've had this discussion with different, you know, uh, leaders of institutional uh, investment houses that when I ask, you know, when do you think this is going to be worth if, we, if this is successful in the clinic and we go to commercialization? And 
it's it's a big number. <laughs> so how do you how do you put your arms around how big that number is? Um, so we don't really talk about it a lot because it's just it's very difficult to model what that might look like. Um, so we just think it's better to uh, you know have people that are invested uh, for the a the the reason of solving this really large unmet need number one, but number two with the prospects that this is going to be achievable that we that we'll have success doing this. And, um, you know, so that's how I kind of look at it. I want to make sure that we do everything in our power to put the right team in place, that we're accomplishing the right steps and the right progression so that when we do get to the clinic and show results, that we've d kind of done it in the right way. Um, and we've actually done this from day one when we, uh, you know, we selected our law firm, you know, we selected the, you know, one of the biggest, you know, biotech law firms in the world, you know, Goodwin Law who has allowed us to kind of put all of our documentation together. So we've done a really good job of all the little behind the scenes things that you need to do when you start a business to make it, you know, run really well. Um, and then if you ever get uh, purchased by somebody that that documentation is all there and, and you've done it the right way. I have a feeling, uh, no, very strong feeling that there's going to be a bunch of pharmaceutical companies once this gets FDA approved, they're going to want to buy uh, your therapy, a hundred percent, like without a doubt. Um, so it's just a matter of like getting in early, um, taking that risk. It seems like it'd be a, a, a worthwhile risk. You have a very strong scientific team. Um, you have an MD PhD that gets very excited about the therapy and, and lights up, like you said. Um, and, uh, so regarding, uh, the initial impetus of you starting this company, um, it was mainly personal or so it was people that you had in your family that you, you wanted this resolved for, or was it, you saw a need in the market, you saw, you saw a need for it and you, you learned to gain the passion or was this something that where you had kind of a, a spark inside you that really wanted this because of a personal reason, or was it just like you, you kind of grew that passion over time? It's a roundabout way to ask the, <laughs> you know, a, a question. Well, no, it's a good question. And, um, you know, I've asked, I was asked it the other day, as a matter of fact, by an investor. And so, and it's something I actually hadn't thought about until he asked this question. So, um, you know, I, what I saw originally when I met the two scientific co-founders for, for the very first time, and they presented what they had, um, because I had some knowledge in the space, um, I, it was like, are you kidding me? this is what you have because mm -hmm. they had already published in, you know, amazing peer reviewed journals like cancer research and oncogene and some others. So, you know, the scientific approach and the rigor that they had already accomplished, uh, you could tell that they were very serious about their work and that they knew exactly what they are, were embarking on and the results that they were generating. Um, so um, it was, great to see scientists that got so passionately interested in what the potential was. Um, normally scientists aren't kind of that way, you know, they're kind of dry and they're involved in the science and they're more interested in the, you know, the, that, the, all the steps that they need to take and all that kind of stuff. But here are two individuals that are really passionately behind this, you know, because again, I think we're all touched by people that have had this disease and, and not lived through it. So, yeah. Um, so for, for that, 
I think it was that reason. And I'm a passionate person anyway. I'm a passionate entrepreneur. I want to see science like this go forward. So, yeah. Um, so that was really the impetus for me to get involved. Um, that I saw that I could really lend a hand because they had, you know, they obviously don't have any or very little business acumen. So there was a real need for the business side of this to be to come into it. Uh, to be developed. So, what were you doing before this? What other businesses have you owned? So, I've uh, I've been most of, most of my career was in the medical device space. I uh, when I left cancer research, I went into the diagnostics business. Um, I was very fortunate to join Abbott Diagnostics when it was a seventeen million dollar division of Abbott Laboratories. Four years later, it was almost a billion dollar division, and it was run by uh, you know one of the things again. I've met some great people. It was run by uh, the CEO at the time of the diagnostics division came in from the Texas uh, Instruments Calculator Division. Obviously, knew nothing about healthcare, nothing about diagno or diagnostics or medical devices, and he drove this company from a seventeen million dollar division to a billion dollar division of Abbott, and ended up not only just being the CEO of that division, but ended up being the uh, CEO and chairman of all of Abbott eventually, um, Jack Schuler, and so. Um, so I, I actually had a very successful career in medical devices, a variety of different uh, products, uh, spent a lot of time in surgical uh, products, in spine, orthopedics. Um, so I've had a really good, uh, I think, broad understanding of the healthcare system, number one, you know, how hospitals work, how products get into hospitals, how physicians adopt new products, that whole paradigm. Um, and then also the reimbursement strategy that you need to use in getting a product not only approved by the FDA, but then have it reimbursed so that you can actually make money. Um, you know, so all of those things, I have a broad understanding of all the different parts and pieces of, of you know, a company. So it's, uh, it's such a complex sale uh, in, in the medical field. Uh, just everything in the medical field is just overly complex. It is. <laughs> compared it is. To, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, there's so many decision makers, clinicians want to see evidence-backed uh, medicine. They want to see uh, you, not only do the clinicians do need to approve, but the CEO needs to approve, or whoever is running a, a particular department needs to approve. And then there's so many other factors that come into play, right? That's um, true. Yeah. I, one of the things that, and I. Uh, I mentor a lot of different people, especially in the medical device arena still. And, you know, a lot of times you'll get a, a passionate entrepreneur that thinks he's created something really wonderful and wants to bring it to market. And I'm, I'm a good one to talk to because I want to, you know, I can punch holes in a lot of different things and, yeah. but also lay out the difficult road that it takes to get a product through the, into the marketplace. And especially in today's world and in, in device land, um, because you have such big players in the market that really control the, the hospital marketplace, yeah. it mm -hmm. makes it very difficult for new products to actually gain market market share. So, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things like in the medical device space, especially therapies like yours, it's, you don't really need to do quantitative qualitative analyses, right? It's pretty much like, do people, will people love the product? Will it save their lives? Yes. If, if it gets FDA approved, you, does, we go through the clinical trials. No uh, analyses need to be done. People want to save their life. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. Uh, That's true. So 
like in, in, in that sense, that's what I like about medical device, medical devices and therapies is that there's, there's an obvious need for a lot of the therapies. It's where, whereas in other markets, other industries, there's not an obvious need for certain things. Um, it, it may, there may seem like there's a need or a strong need, but then you put a, you put a product out there and then nobody wants it. Sure. Right? Even though you feel there's a need for everyone that, that would potentially be a client, you know, the, if nobody buys that the market's spoken, right. But sure. it's very hard to imagine somebody going, you know what, I know this will save my life, but I don't think I want it right now. Let's, <laughs> let's wait, let's wait a little bit of time right. before I make the decision, you know? Sure. Yeah. You know, which is, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, that's what I love about it. I got to tell you, man, like this, this whole COVID thing, we were planning on doing a venture conference live and it was more, uh, more of a general conference as opposed to focused. Um, and then, you know, we started, decided to do this like online uh, conference, became really focused and I really learned to love this um, and, and helping companies like yours, you know, get out there and, and get the funding they need. Sure. Um, you know, it's like you said, it's very easy to work in this space, very easy to get up out of bed and just work really, really hard for other people. Um, I feel like, you know, this may be the case, but in a lot of other fields, it, it may be harder because if all you, if in some fields, all you're doing is working for money, you know, that only lasts so long. You make the money and then, you know, what, where's the motivation after that? Right. Sure. Sure. But, me knowing that, you know, I have a daughter now, I have a, she's two and a half or almost two, two and a half months uh, old now. Um, I want her to grow up in a world that, you know, where there's a uh, higher quality of life, uh, therapies that can really help her if she gets sick in any way, you sure. know? Um, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Um, but it's, I love, I just love this space. I just love it. Um, have you always been in, in the med tech space or have you, uh, been in other industries and then you learn to go, you, you learn like me that you should be in this space. Um, now I've always been in healthcare except for I did. Um, I was on the board. I've, I've been on the board of a couple of different companies and I was on the board of a, um, I don't know what you would call it. What's the, what's the, the term it's, it's, uh, it's like Lululemon, it's like athletic wear, but you can transition into using it, you know, you can wear it all the time kind of thing. And so I, I met some really passionate entrepreneurs that had created this incredible clothing line. And, um, but they were lacking some uh, business acumen to kind of explode their business. And so I came in with a, a couple other, uh, you know, with an investment banker and some other people that I know that have this ability to mentor a small company into something bigger and so together we we help them kind of really get on their way and um awesome. so so that was you know completely foreign to me but it's still you know business is business almost you know it's putting the right people in place and making sure that you develop a really quality product and differentiate yourself in the marketplace etc cetera, etc cetera. so all those kind of components are all still the same um which allows it to be you know it allows certain you know individuals to run large companies and they have a they have no experience in the in the industry that they're working in so you know it translates very well i think yeah definitely uh, um yeah so if an investor or somebody listening to this podcast wants to get a hold of you how would they do so sure the two ways there's you can uh, you can go to our website uh, transcotherapeutics.com 
and you can leave a message for me there. Uh, my phone number and email address are there. Um, or you can just email me directly at um, michael.dudley at transcotherapeutics.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you having, doing this interview with us. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time, Frank.